in honor of the in honor of the soon to be soon to be issued decision in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, in which Roe versus Wade is expected to be overturned. We're going to discuss tonight one of the most famous and important chuvas on abortion in the halachic literature, a chuva of the Maharit. The Maharit, Rabbi Yosef of Trani, was one of the great Svardik poskim of 400 years ago. He was, uh, his father was the Mabit, Moshe of Trani. The Mabit and the Marit were one of the great father-son pairs of poskim in Jewish history. The Marit was one of the Amude Hahora of his time, again about turn of the 17th century, one of the greatest of the, the Sephardic poskim of his time. His tshuva on abortion is interesting for a variety of reasons. First of all, to the best of my knowledge, it is the first important tshuva on abortion. There are many tshuvas subsequent to his tshuva, but his is basically the first Important, the first major tshuva on the topic, certainly in the Achronim, but uh, one of the first major poskim to discuss abortion in a practical context. Second, his tshuva is strikingly lenient. It, it actually aroused a great deal of controversy the, because of internal inconsistencies and problems with the tshuva, but it is a relatively lenient view on abortion. And third, the tshuva also discusses fertility treatments for Jews and non-Jews, Another interesting aspect of the tshuva, and, and fourth, because the tshuva is problematic, as we said, then we'll discuss some of the issues as we go. There have been all kinds of theories about this tshuva, whether the tshuva is, has been mangled and, and doesn't actually mean what it says. Ramosha Feinstein went so far as to say the tshuva was a forgery. He felt it was so intolerable, both in its lenient holding and what he felt was the, was the illogic of its, of its reasoning. So this is a very, very interesting, very... Uh, very problematic tshuva. We'll go through it and we'll discuss uh, what he says and what the, what the issues are. So before we do the tshuva of the marit, we're also going to do several other tshuvas earlier and later that, uh, in, that, that connect to this tshuva of the marit. We'll begin with a fascinating tshuva of the Rashba. So the Rashba was, of course, the great Svardik Posik of the 13th and 14th century, lived into the early 14th century. His question was, not about abortion. His question was about fertility treatment for a Jew to practice fertility medicine for a non-Jewish woman, a Jewish physician, to, to provide fertility treatment to a non-Jewish, to a non-Jewish woman, non-Jewish patient. Rofe Yisrael, Mahu Lassus Rafuel Anachris Keshedis Abrolo, is a Jew allowed to provide fertility treatments to a non-Jewish woman? Why not? Midami lahaditznan bas Yisrael to yaladis anachris. It says bas Yisrael should not, should is not allowed to uh, serve as a midwife for a non-Jewish woman. A Jewish woman cannot be a midwife for a non-Jewish woman. Why? ben The non-Jews are raising their children to be pagans, to be idolaters. We don't want to have any part in that. So this is again, this is very jarring to our modern liberal sensibilities. We want all men to be equal. We, 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 we believe in the brotherhood of humanity. You know, Shakespeare said, hath not a Jew uh, eyes, and, and if you prick him, does he not bleed? You know, we, we like to think that, we're, that, we're, that we reciprocate that feeling, that we treat non-Jews as human beings, but Selim Elohim as well, which they certainly have. Nevertheless, the Gemara has some pretty harsh things to say about the non-Jews, at least the non-Jews of antiquity. We'll touch a little bit later. There is some discussion as to whether the, these rules really apply today or not. But that was the question as posed to the Rashba. 
is a Jewish physician allowed to, to help treat a non-Jewish woman for infertility? Does this violate the Gemara's rule, the Mishnah's rule, that a, that a Jew should not help a non-Jew give birth because her child will be raised for Avodah Says the Rashba, it's not an issue, it is actually mutter. Why? So he gives, the Rashba says that the Gemara itself tells you why. The Gemara itself says that there's an issue of Eva. We know the, the famous halachic principle of Eva, that certain things which otherwise we would do or not do, we don't do or we do to avoid Eva, to avoid arousing antipathy, to avoid creating tension and uh, resentment with, with and between our non-Jewish neighbors. So the Gemara says this prohibition of not helping a, non, a non-Jewish woman give birth is uh, suspended when there's a concern for Eva. Bas Yisrael lo tiyaladetz anachris. The Gemara says v'ramini. It says Yehudis is miyaladetz aramis b'schar. Avalo b'chinam. But 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 when there's an issue of Eva, you can do it. So the Gemara says, yeah, b'schar it's mutter because of Eva. If you're a pay, if you, if you do it b'schar and she'll be upset if you don't do it for her, then there then it is mutter because of Eva. And says the Rashba that certainly applies to a to a to a, a professional physician who treats everyone. And if he suddenly makes exceptions for the non-Jewish woman, there'll certainly be great Eva. Therefore, the Rashba says, even if in theory we have this invidious distinction between Jews and non-Jews, in practice it does not really apply because of Eva. And then the Rashba can... Sorry? Sorry. So, 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 that's, so that's an interesting question. Barbara is asking whether, if the issue is not just helping her give birth, but if the issue is actually saving her from a potentially life-threatening situation, she's, uh, you know, that, uh, she's in a medical crisis and you're simply saving her life, is that different than, than initially signing on to a plan of treatment to help, her, uh, to help her give birth? An interesting question, I'm not sure. We typically do today treat uh, Hatzalah. Doctors typically do do treat non-Jewish patients in general, both in terms of both in terms of OBGYN uh, and, in, of, and in terms of medicine in general. Some of that is Ava. Some of that is maybe other reasons. Maybe maybe we don't treat non-Jews today the same as in the Talmud. But according to these rules of the Rashba, that the primary heter is Ava, would we distinguish? And, and without Ava, he doesn't really have a heter. Would we distinguish between? An emergency and a and and a planned uh, a planned pregnancy. I, I'm not sure. I'd have to give that more thought. But I, I, I'm not sure what to say about that offhand. Yeah, the Rashford doesn't seem to have been talking about an emergency. Is there reason to distinguish and to apply different rules in the case of an emergency? I'm not exactly sure. Okay, and then the Rashford concludes though with an interesting remark. He says, "I myself saw. I saw." He says, "Anira Isi, the Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman." He himself, he was a physician. I saw him uh, treat a, a non-Jewish woman professionally. Beskar, I, I saw him uh, treat for uh, for for pay a non-Jewish woman. So that's a proof that this is mutter. The Beis Yosef, when he brings his Chuvas Arashba in his, in his Beis Yosef on the tour, he brings a uh, a deeply provocative comment of Rabbeinu Yonah. The 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 Beis Yosef says it's true. The Ramban apparently did treat a non-Jewish woman. Once, in general, he did it. I don't know if it happened only once or more often, recorded by the Rashba. However, Beis Yosef says, I saw, I saw it recorded that Rabbeinu Yonah, another contemporary, a contemporary of the Ramban, Rabbeinu Yonah, 
the great posek and ethicist, the author of Shari Tshuva, also one of the great poskim of his time, halachist, Talmudist, Rubain Yonah said that he wrote to the Ramban in protest over this course of conduct. He wrote rather, uh, rather acerbically to the Ramban, sarcastically, Tavo alecha bracha sh'atamarba zaro shalamolek. May you be blessed for increasing the, the spawn of Amalek by treating the, the non-Jewish woman. Sir Benyona did not approve of what the Ramban had done. Nevertheless, we'll see some of the chuvas we do tonight, including the Marit. Later poskim seem to side with Ramban, that Ramban, the Chatham Sofer, Shmuel Aliyahu, contemporary authority, side with Ramban that it is mutter, certainly at least if Ava's a concern, maybe even beyond that, but uh, the Iker Lahalacha follows the Ramban, not Rabbeinu Yonah, that it is permitted for a, for a physician to provide fertility or general OBGYN services to a non-Jewish woman. So against that background, we turn now to the Marit. The Marit has two tshuvas, which we're going to consider tonight. They're almost printed consecutively in the Sefer. One is 97, one is 99. But we're going to do the, first the tshuva in Sadites, and then the somewhat more problematic one in, uh, then, 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 the, then the, the other one in Sadizayan, which may, we'll see, they may have been printed out of order. The one in Sadizayan might be a continuation of the one in Sadites, it's not clear. But the one in Sadites begins, they asked the Marit two questions. One of them was essentially the same question that they asked the Rashba and the Ramban. Are you allowed to help a non-Jewish woman become pregnant? The, 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 that, that, was, that was the question of the Rashba. And he says, or Shatapil, are you allowed to provide her with an abortion? Are you allowed to help her abort a pregnancy? Is there an Isser of destroying life, of destroying a nefesh uh, in, in utero? So these were the two Shilohs. Two, both of them deal with, uh, both of them deal with questions between a woman and her doctor. One is about helping her conceive, and one is about helping her unconceive, helping her abort an already conceived fetus. These two questions don't necessarily have anything to do with each other, but they were both posed to the Marit together, and the Marit deals with them one after another. The first part of the tshuva deals with helping her conceive, as in the case of the Rashba. He writes, That's the Mishnah that we brought, that normally the Mishnah says, the normative halacha is that a, that a Jew should not help a non-Jew give birth because you raise a child for Avodah Zara. But if there's Eva, whenever Eva's a concern, then it's mutter. And he says, Marit then has a discussion, a technical discussion, is there going to be Eva? He says, maybe not, because uh, a midwife, you know, if you come to treat, then good. If you don't come to treat, there's Eva. So if you don't provide treatment, then it's, it's a routine thing, it's a standard thing. Why aren't you doing it? That creates Eva. He says, fertility treatments, not everything works, not, not all physicians treat all patients. And uh, who said there's Ava, he says. If the, if the doctor says, I can't help you, if the doctor you know, isn't available to provide some treatment, is that really going to cause Ava? So he says, you, you find the Gemara makes such distinctions. The Gemara says, well, we have a plausible excuse why not to help the non-Jew, then there's no Ava. If, if we have something persuasive, a persuasive reason why we can't help him, even if it's not true necessarily, but if we can come up with some excuse that he'll believe, a credible excuse for why we can't help him, then there's no Ava. However, the Marit says, okay, but the bottom line is, he does conclude that there is an issue of Eva. He says, If he is a professional and expert physician, and he treats uh, Jewish women, other Jewish women, and he has no real excuse for not treating you, and therefore not treating this non-Jewish woman, and again, there will be Eva. 
to say, well, again, modern fertility medicine, not every doctor will take every patient to the doctor's they, they, they want to maintain their, 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 their success rates. They, they all advertise based on what percent of, uh, of, of cases they end, end in successful uh, childbirth. Uh, many, many uh, reproductive endocrinologists won't take patients if they don't think there's a, uh, there, there's a sufficient chance that they can help them, either because, like I said, you know, self-interest is not good for their reputation, or for professional reasons, they don't think it's ethical to provide treatment where there's no real hope. But whatever it is... The Akolofianian, the Marit is telling us that, a, that in general, a professional physician who makes his services who makes his services available, in a, in a general broad way, there would be Ava if he declines to provide services to a particular woman. So if yes, yes; if not, not. The Marit says he ba- he's basically ruling like the Rashba. He's just expanding that we have to examine whether the will won't be Ava in a particular situation. The Marit just adds an interesting an interesting point. He says lahatosam. But to actually cheat them, to take their money, and not to actually provide proper treatment, that's certainly Oster, he says. That's Gezel. He can't steal from non-Jews, he says. So to take their money and then just uh, not actually treat them, to give them you know, saline instead of medicine or whatever, that, that's certainly not, a, not acceptable. Either, either treat them or be open and tell them you're not going to treat them. So playing games is not an option. So if, if there's no Ava, he says, in theory, you should decline. In practice, he says, a, a professional physician, there will be Ava, and therefore he's allowed to treat them. And then he says, the Hurani, I recall that he saw the Rashburn and Tshuva, who, who cites the Ramban as having treated a non-Jewish woman. So again, no real surprise is in the first part of the Marit's Tshuva. He's basically just echoing the ruling of the Rashba, that in principle the Talmud is pretty clear that we aren't supposed to help non-Jews have children because they, 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 the children will, will be idol worshippers. But the, if there's Eva, the Talmud already says it's Mutter, and in practice the, the Rashba, the Ramban, the Marit are all telling us in practice, uh, a professional physician who makes his services available in a public and general way, there will be Ava, and therefore you're allowed to provide this treatment to the non-Jew. And as I mentioned earlier, th- that is in general the, the policy take, the policy followed by, my understanding is, that is in general the policy followed by physicians today. Jewish physicians, whether, whether in, in the field of fertility or in other, other fields of medicine, typically do provide their services uh, equally to Jew and non-Jew, whether the heter is Eva or the or other heterim, but the Lamaisa, this is what we do in line with this Rashba and Ramban and uh, Marit. There's a story they tell I saw many years ago that uh, somehow there was some kind of uh, public discussion once about the Jewish position on providing medical care to non-Jews several decades ago, and uh, it had come to the attention of the public, of the media, that Jews had this incredibly... Uh, incredibly um, clannish attitude that, that, they, that in principle they don't want to help non-Jews only because of Ava. So they tell the story that a reporter once asked uh, Professor Saul Lieberman, one of the greatest, uh, greatest uh, scholars and Talmud of his time, great Talmud Chacham, great scholar. So the reporter said, uh, Rabbi Lieberman, Dr. Lieberman, whatever, Professor Lieberman, whatever they called him, is it true that a, that a Jew would not provide treatment for a non-Jew were it not for the consideration of Ava? So Lieberman said, according to the story, he said, no, 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 we, no, no, we would provide treatment. It's not just because of Ava. We believe that, that you know, everyone is, all life is precious and so on. And he made a uh, ringing, cl- ringing claim of the, of the Jewish belief in universality. So after the reporter left, the story goes, Lieberman's Talmidim turned to him and said, you know, Rebbe or Sir, Professor, whatever they called him, 
They say they said, uh, but but isn't it true that the Talmud says the reason is only Eva? So Lieberman said, well, what do you think I just did? I avoided Eva by, by, by telling them uh, the whole song and a dance about how we believe in the universality of, uh, of human beings. That, that itself is what, we, is what Eva requires sometimes. Be that as it may, the, 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 the minhag certainly, the policy is like the... The policy is like this Rashba and Ramban and the Marit, that we do provide medical treatment to non-Jews, whether fertility or uh, other types of medicine. The second half of the Marit is the, is the novel and provocative, or novel and important and controversial part, and that is the part that deals with abortion. The Marit goes on. What about, help, what about procuring an abortion for a non-Jewish woman? Says the Marit, not really an issue. He says, Ibn Nefashos Einkan. Not considered murder. It's not considered destruction of human life, because nephilim, because because fetuses, he says, embryos are not nefesh. They're not considered human beings yet. Mamanhu dechayev. If a person injures a pregnant woman and destroys her, destroys her fetus, it's a civil claim. It's not murder. He pays civil damages to the husband for destroying for destroying the for destroying the unborn child. It's a civil claim. It's not a criminal claim. It's certainly not murder. <coughs> Maret goes on. He brings various other. Talmudic arguments for the idea that killing a fetus is not murder. He says that he brings a Gemara in, in Hanachnachin, in Sanhedrin, it says that we need a reboot, we need an extra Pasuk to tell you that, uh, that uh, he, the Pasuk says, make ish, kol make nefesh, kol make nefesh, You might think that killing an, uh, killing an embryo is included in murder, that it's not. The Gemara brings a drush that killing an embryo is not considered murder. Perikyotse Dauphin, the Gemara Nida says that, uh, that in a certain context over there, it says that, that kol nefesh, we're, 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 we're marber from the word kol nefesh, even a child who's one day old, one day old, he has to actually be born, he has to be at least one day old. But before that, in utero, he's not even one day old yet. He's not, uh, he's not, he's not even nefesh kol dehuk by, by the standards of the Gemara. He's not even considered a, a human life at all at that point. Brings another Gemara, Mishnah in uh, Mesechus Arachin. A woman is convicted of a capital crime. She's going to be executed. So it says that we don't wait until the child is born. We execute her. Even if she's pregnant, we execute her while, while she's still carrying. In England, I think, there used to be a rule that they, uh, that they were allowed to give birth. The women would often plead uh, the defense of being pregnant, and they would get a stay of their execution. But in Halacha, it says, Ein mamtin in law, you, uh, you execute her with her unborn child. The Gemara says, Pshita, Gufahi. So it says, well, you might think it's only Mamona, and it's, it's Mamona de Baal. You might think it's, uh, you're right, there's no, there's no issue of killing the child. He's not a human being, but he's property of the, of the husband, so we shouldn't kill him. Kamash we do. So the Gemara says, you see from this Gemara as well, that we don't view an unborn child as a person in any sense. We don't view him as a human being with a, with, with a right to life. And... Uh, and, um, and so on. Another Gemara says even sometimes we actually abort, abort the, the, the woman's pregnancy before we execute her because uh, to avoid evil, to avoid the unpleasantness of having her miscarry while she's being executed. So uh, because of that, we kill the child. We're not worried about Ibn Nefashos. So we're not going to get into the, all the details of all these proofs, but the Marit fails in this first tshuva in Simon Sadi test that he has a number of Gemaras which indicate that the number of Gemaras that indicate that, a, that an embryo is not considered a human being, and therefore the Marit's conclusion is, Hilkach when it comes to a Jewish woman, again, he was asked about a non-Jewish woman, but for some reason here he's dealing with a Jewish woman still. For a Jewish woman, he says, 
for the need of the mother, you'd be allowed to provide an abortion for her, since it is for the, the health, for the therapy, therapeutic need of the mother, we are allowed to help her abort her child, Noom Hatzar Yosef Ben Ramosha Mitrani. That is the first tshuva. So, as the Akronim point out, this tshuva ends in a strange place. He was asked about it, he's asked about a non-Jewish woman, and his conclusion is about a Jewish woman. But the Marit concludes, at least with regard to a Jewish woman, he concludes this tshuva by saying, if there is tzorech imo, if it's a need of the mother, it seems that it's mutter to provide her an abortion as long as it is for a therapeutic need of the mother. Now, what makes this such a, a, a startling and controversial proposition is that the Mishnah, the Mishnah is very clear that we abort a fetus to save the, the mother's life. It says a woman who is having some kind of complication, having some a dangerous delivery, complications of labor, it says we destroy the fetus to save the mother. That is a halacha psuka. That is, uh, that is something universally accepted. Uh, that, that there's no question that the life of the mother is a legitimate reason to, to abort a fetus. That is clear. But that's the life of the mother. That's when the life of the mother is at stake. The marit here just says, Tzorechimo, for the need of the mother, Rafuasimo for the Rafu of the mother. The marit says, since he has all these proofs from various Gemaras, that a, that a fetus is not considered a real human life, it's not even a nefesh kaldahu, it's not the same as even a one-day-old baby, Therefore, for Tzorech Imo, it is mutter to abort the fetus. The strong mashmos of the language of the marit he does not re- is that he does not require the life of the mother to be at stake, even if it's simply a need of the mother, less than, less than the, the preservation of her life. Again, abortion on demand he is not condoning. No pose condones uh, abortion on demand as a general, a general right. But all posts can agree that, that without a good reason, abortion is usher. But the, the Marit seems to rule that we don't require the life of the mother to be at stake, even if it's simply a tzorech of the mother, some type of need that she has. As long as it's refuas imo, there's, a, there's an issue of refuah for the mother, that is sufficient reason to perform an abortion. So this is a relatively lenient ruling. This, was, this is opposed by many major poskim, most, most prominently Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein has several vehement chuvas on abortion in which he insists that abortion is murder and that therefore nothing can justify it short of danger to the life of the mother. We'll discuss Ramosha's comments about this Marit soon. Ramosha feels the Marit cannot possibly be saying what he seems to be saying, and therefore he says this chuva is a forgery. We'll discuss his, his position a little bit later. But Ramosha utterly rejects the, the plausibility of this chuva metrila vad self and uh, says it's a forgery. Other postkim. Don't go as far as Ramosha, but other poskim do have some trouble with this tshuva, as we'll discuss some of the reasons why momentarily. But just, just to, to note at this point, it really isn't 100% clear what tzorech imo means, what refuas imo means. There are achronim who want to learn because of the pressure of various considerations. There are achronim who suggest that tzorech imo means her life, her life is at stake. Refuas imo, the, 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 the need to heal the mother, means heal her from a life-threatening condition. So there are those who learn that the Marit is not really saying anything so controversial, that ultimately he's telling you the, the same hatred of the mission is telling you that if the life of the mother is at stake, we can abort the fetus. That is not the pashtus of the Marit. The Marit spent a whole paragraph telling you the fetus is not really alive, he's not really a human being yet. It sounds like he's telling you a broader hatred. 
the, the simple language of tzorech imo, the need of the mother, sounds like he's telling you a much, uh, setting a much lower standard than her life is at stake. Refuas imo also sounds like it's, it's a lower standard. So the pashtas, the simple reading of the marit, is that he is telling you a great leniency, that there's grounds for allowing abortion, even if the mother's life is not at stake. The problem is that there is another tshuva, the marit, two tshuvas earlier, Simon Sadi Zayin, this tshuva starts uh, in media rest, without any explanation of the shaila or anything. He just starts going on. And not only that, but this tshuva seems to contradict the, earlier, the other tshuva. Simon Tzadi Zion, the tshuva begins by discussing the concept of uber yerach imo. In certain contexts, for certain purposes, a fetus is considered another limb, just an extension of the mother. It's her body, as we say. He brings various gemaras that invoke this, this concept. And he brings a Tosfus. Tosfus says that the Gemara there says a very interesting rule. It says there's no such thing, lekamidam. There's no such thing in, in the universe of halacha, the Gemara says, that is, that is usur for a non-Jew and is mutter for a Jew. And the Gemara explicitly says that for a non-Jew, if a non-Jew aborts a fetus, that's considered murder. It's one of the seven Noahide laws. It's, it's subsumed under murder. It is a capital crime for a non-Jew to abort a fetus, to, to, to abort a non-Jewish fetus. Now, for Yisrael, Yisrael is not killed. For Yisrael, abortion is not a capital crime. All the discussion about abortion revolves around the fact that, the, that for Yisrael, for a Jew, the Gemara says it's not a capital crime. The question is, what is it? Is it Asr Midaraisa? Is it murder but not capital murder? Is it Asr Midrabanan? Is it Mutter? Is it just not a good idea? So, Tosus, when he discusses this question, Tosus says, we have a Gemara in Chulun, the Gemara says, there's nothing that's usur for a non-Jew, that's mutter for a Jew. Abortion, therefore, Tosus says, is usur for Jews as well. Even though it's not a capital crime for Jews, all right, there is such a thing as, a, as an isser, which is a capital offense for a non-Jew, but not a capital offense for a Jew. Lots of things are like that. Stealing, all, all the seven Noachite laws are capital offenses for non-Jews. Not all of them are capital offenses for Jews. So Tosu says yes, so abortion is usur for Jews as well, but it's, it, but it's not a capital offense for Jews, while it is a capital offense for non-Jews. Tosu seems to say quite clearly that the abortion is usur for Jews, and Pashtus Midaraisa, there can't be anything that's, uh, that's usur for, 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 for non-Jews and mutter for Jews, that would seem to mean it's usur Midaraisa. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein has an essay, Originally, it was, uh, it, was, it was testimony presented orally to the Knesset when the Knesset was debating abortion policy, apparently. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein brings all the shittas about abortion beyond the scope of, of today's talk, but he says that there are those who learn it's not derisa, it's that it's not really murder, that it's not... But he says, this is the strongest proof, the fact that the Gemara says there's no such thing as something that's usur for a non-Jew and mutter for a Jew, that itself is the strongest proof that abortion is considered a, a real isser for Jews as well, not just some kind of drabanan, not just, not just some kind of uh, relatively minor isser, that, 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 that abortion has to be, that, 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 that abortion has to be a, a serious isser, he says, because, because there's no such thing, there's no such thing as, uh, as something which is usser for non-Jews and mutter for Jews. So that's what Tosu says. And the Marit in the second tshuva brings this tosis and says that the, the Marit says that that um, Tosu says that it's Oster. So clearly abortion is Oster. 
And it, 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 it's an actual Isser. And it's not so simple to be Maturit necessarily for Tzarech Aim, apparently. If it's really Usser, then who says it's Mutter? Even for, even for Tzarech. He brings the... He brings the, the Mishin Alos. The Mishin Alos gives the basic din that if a woman is having uh, dangerous labor, we abort the fetus to save her life. The, the Mishnah says, because Chayeha Kodman Lechayev, her life takes precedence over the fetus's life. The implication is, if her life is not at stake, it's Asr. So in this tshuva, he proceeds to bring a number of arguments that even for a real need, if it's short of saving her life, it's absolutely Asr. Abortion's Asr. He brings... Uh, he brings, the, he brings a case where a woman has already died, a woman who's in labor and dies. So the halacha is, we can be mechal Shabbos to do a posthumous C-section to get out the baby, to save the baby's life. Because the baby's life, the baby's, uh, the baby's a human being. So we can mechal Shabbos, even though the woman's dead, she's beyond hope. But to save her baby, we can, uh, we, we, we can be mechal Shabbos, just as we would for an ordinary, uh, ordinary born human being. Says the Marit, once again, we see that, uh, that, uh, that, that a fetus is considered a bona fide person to the extent that we're Michal Shabbos. Another proof that we say that, the, that a fetus is considered a person. He's not considered just tissue, just the limb of the mother. He's a live human being. Uh, he brings another, he goes on, he brings, uh, he, brings, he brings the same proof that he brought earlier from the Gemara about Lechem The Gemara says that Ben Noach is it's considered murder for, to abort a fetus. The Gemara says everything, everything that's usher for a non-Jew has to be usher for a Jew. And Tosa says again, it's an Hedron as well as in Hulin, that, uh, that the Israel might not be chay of Misa, but it has to be usher. So the Maret, contrary to his previous tshuva, where he just said that he has all these proofs that, 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 that it's just a question of, of, a civil, of a civil crime, a civil offense against the husband's property rights, all these Gemaras seem to imply that the Torah recognizes, the halacha recognizes a fetus as a person who can even be Shabbos to save him, and therefore abortion would have to be usher. So the Maritz gives two terutz. One terutz, his first terutz, is to take the position similar to, uh, I'm sorry, his second terutz is to take a position similar to his first tshuva, that, uh, that ordinarily a fetus is not considered alive, is not considered a human being, it isn't con- it's just considered tissue of the mother. The case where the woman died, one of the riots that he brought, the case where the woman's already dead, the woman Michal Shabbos to save the, the fetus's life, that's because once the mother dies, we view the fetus as already having been born. As long as he's in a, in a viable maternal environment, he's not born yet, and he's tuffled to the mother, Yerachimo, and he's considered not alive yet. But as soon as the mother dies, at that point... There's no mother left, and the mother is deceased. At this point, we consider the fetus a, a human being, and we're Michal Shabbos for him. According to that approach, we're, we're basically still adopting the position of the first tshuva, that while the mother's alive, the fetus doesn't really count for much, and it's only after the mother dies that we, that, that we suddenly start treating the fetus as a, uh, as a human being that we're Michal Shabbos for. That would answer at least that last question, if not uh, the question of Chil Shabbos. Might, would, might not answer all the other questions, but it answers at least the question about Chil Shabbos. Merit gives another tarots, though. Merit gives another tarots. He says, no, just the opposite. Really, he says, we're going to go like Ramosha Feinstein and the other postgame that say that a fetus is considered a live human being. And really, like all these other riots he brings, a fetus is considered alive. What about those Gemaras he brought that say that we execute her and we abort the fetus if she's guilty of a capital crime and so on? We don't care very much about the fetus in those cases. That's because, he says, since she's she's condemned to death, she's going to die, 
So the fetus also is considered dead. The fetus also has, has lost his right to life, since even though he's a human being, but he's enough considered part of the mother that, that he's considered uh, so fully hurried, so we don't have to worry about aborting him in that case. We can abort him to avoid nevel. But in general, the fetus, uh, fetus of a normal woman who's not chayavas misa, the fetus of a normal woman is considered a human being. So here, the, in this tshuva, the merit is much less sure is much less sure that the fetus is actually considered, whether its fetus is considered a human being or not. He brings a number of arguments that the fetus is considered a human being. And he says it's a, uh, it's about, he says, he says that we do have sources that say that, we do have some arguments that say that a fetus is considered a human being, he says. And furthermore, he says, even if we're going to say that a fetus is not considered a even if we're going to say a fetus is not considered a human being, he says, and for a Jew it's mutter, but for a non-Jew it's certainly us, or for a non-Jew, we said before, the Gemara says explicitly that abortion for a non-Jew is considered a capital crime. So for us to help them, that violates Lefneiver. The, the mother herself is not allowed to abort. The Jewish physician is theoretically allowed to abort, but the mother, the, the non-Jewish mother, is not permitted to abort her child. So we can't help her either, because we're violating Lefneiver, he says, because they have the obligation, and for them it's a capital crime, Lifneiver applies to non-Jews as well, unless, the Marit says, the only exception would be if she has other physicians who can help her get an abortion anyway, then there's no Lifneiver. Lifneiver doesn't apply when, 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 even without me, there are other people who can help her anyway. So in this tshuva, the, 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 seems to say that, the Marit seems to say that fetuses are considered human beings, certainly for non-Jews, maybe even for Jews as well. And except for the case of a woman who's condemned to death, but ordinarily the Marit has, seems to have a, a very real, a very real possibility that fetuses are human beings. You can call Shabbos to save them. And in this tshuva, it, he seems to imply that it, that, that if, if abortion is a uh, that 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 it would not be mutter to uh, it would not necessarily be mutter to abort a to abort a fetus for a, for a, for a non life and death uh, threat to, to, of the mother. Because the first tshuva he said that the fetus is not considered a person at all, and that's why it's mutter l'tzarech In this tshuva, though, he comes out that the fetus is considered a person. Many achronim, a, a number of achronim, going down to Ravavadi Yosef and Moshe Feinstein, earlier achronim as well, Ravavadi brings a lot of the literature on this, Kedarka Bakodesh, have grappled with the implication of these two tshuvas of the marit. The Abiyah Omer concludes that this tshuva in Simon Sadi Zion is actually the continuation and the, the development of the Meritz thought. It's actually a continuation of the second tshuva, which got broken off and set up independently. He says that, yes, that, that, that in the first tshuva, in the first tshuva, the Meritz was saying that he has some proofs that the Uber is not considered a human being at all. But then he brings Tosfus, that, that it is considered a person, because if, if for non-Jews it is, for Jews it is as well, that there is an Isser Torah to abort a fetus, and, and so on and so on. And he has the two Terutzim, so, self called self, the, the Rav Avadi says he should have explicitly retracted what he said, that, that, you were, that you were allowed to abort a fetus for even a non-life-and-death situation. He should have said, now that I've concluded that there are, uh, that it's an Isr, that it's an Isr Daraisa, and, and, and even in the case of Tzarek, it should be Asr. In the Hanami, he says, Rav Adi says he was being Choser. The, the... When, when, when the Marit says at the end that, that even, even if you're going to tell me it, uh, it, it's not considered an Efesh, and, and for Goyim it's Mutter, he says that, 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 that for a Jew to abort a, a non-Jewish fetus would be Mutter, but for a, for a Jew to abort a Jewish fetus, it would be Asr, even if there's some therapeutic need. So the Akronim go back and forth. The Akronim are not entirely sure what the Marit's conclusion is. 
but uh, due to the fact that these two tshuvas take contradictory approaches, and the fact that it seems to have been something wrong with uh, the integrity of these tshuvas, there seems to have been some kind of editing or some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, improper, improper printing of these tshuvas, the Akronim are not entirely sure what to make of these two tshuvas. On the one hand, in Simon Tzadi Tess, he explicitly says that it's mutter l'tzor On the other hand, it's possible to imagine that l'tzor means a life and death need. And even if he means any need, like, like the Pashas of the Marit, he may very well have been, uh, have been uh, retrenching. He may, he, may, he, may have, uh, he may be giving up that position in Simon Tzadi Zayin. And therefore, what exactly the conclusion of the, Marit, of the Marit is in the second tshuva, in these two tshuvas together, is not entirely clear. So as I said, the Marit is the first and one of the most important tshuvas on the topic. Unfortunately, what exactly the holding of the Marit is, is very unclear. He has an early tshuva, he has one tshuva in which he seems to argue, seems to rule that relatively leniently, that abortion is not murder and it's mutter, even for, uh, even for a lesser need. In the second tshuva, though, in another tshuva, he takes a much, uh, a much tougher position that abortion is an iser deraisa and uh, is a real iser and, and might not be permitted for anything short of a threat to the life of the mother. Ramosha Feinstein, as, as we mentioned, is so adamant that these tshuvas make no sense, that the, that the that this first tshuva missed uh, elementary points that he raises in the second tshuva, and the tshuvas are inconsistent. So Ramosha vehemently insists that the first tshuva is a forgery. It was put in by uh, the Talmud with an agenda to... Uh, this is something Ramosha did occasionally. He, he was so convinced that, that, that his positions on certain issues had to be correct, that, that, that tshuvas that didn't make sense, according to him, he just was willing to write off as a forgery. In this case, as we've seen, Ramosha goes further than other acronym, but the basic problems with the tshuva were recognized by many other acronym earlier. The inconsistencies in the tshuvas, the difficulties of the first tshuva, they don't go as far as Ramosha saying it was a forgery, but they do say that there was some, something got lost in the editing, and it may not represent the, the final evolution of his thought. Ramosha takes that to an extreme, but it's difficult to, to conclude anything from this tshuva in light of the fact that the, that the tshuva in Simon Sadi Zayin is, uh, is, is, takes rather a stricter position. Rabbi, yes? Rabbi, in terms of Masech de Sanhedrin, where they talk about the fetus as a potential homicide in a road Right. 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 So, so Jason is mentioning a very important point. I, I, I was glossing over that tonight, but the, I, I may, I've been mentioning that the Mishnah in Allah says that, that we can kill a fetus to save the mother. However, the Mishnah says, Yatsarosho e Nogunba. Once the head has emerged, once the baby's crowned, then we can no longer terminate the, the fetus to save the mother. 
Now, the, the mission doesn't really, doesn't really explain why. The mission doesn't really explain the distinction. The Gemara introduces the concept of rodef, the, the law of the pursuer, that normally the halacha is that if A is pursuing B with, uh, with intent to kill, we can kill A as a rodef. So the Gemara says, well, why, if the head has emerged, why can't we kill the baby even after the head has emerged? Why isn't he a rodif? Even after his head has emerged, he's still a rodif. So the Gemara says, he's not really a rodif. The Gemara says something very evocative, but not entirely clear. The Gemara says, Mishamaya karadfile. It's happening, this is what Jason was, was mentioning, that it's Mishamaya karadfile. He's not a rodif, because that's just the normal order of things. We can't call him a rodif. Not exactly clear what that means. Is it simply because he has no intention? Is it more than that? Is it just because that's the way God designed the world? But whatever it is, the, the, the Gemara explicitly says that the reason we don't kill the baby after he has crowned is because he's not a rodif, because that's the natural order of things. So why do we kill the baby before, his, uh, before he's crowned? Why do we abort the fetus before he's crowned? If he's not a rodif, he's not a rodif. So the simple understanding of the Gemara would be because before he, before he crowns, he's not a person yet, like the, like the first Shuvah in the Marit. And after, afterwards, he is a person. He's not a rodif before or afterward. But before, before he crowns, he's not a person, so we can do less of a person, so we can terminate him. Afterward, we can't. The Rambam is one of the most famous, difficult Rambams in all of Rambam. The Rambam says that, that, that before he crowns, we kill him because he's a rodif. And afterwards, we don't kill him because uh, he's already crowned, so we can't kill him. So the Rambam does apply the rule of rodif, and despite the fact that the Gemara says he's not a rodif. And yet, for some reason, we only apply the rule of Rodev before he crowns. So this is one of the most, most uh, heavily discussed Rambams out there, how to understand the Rambam, how to square it with the Gemara, how to, how to, how to, if there is a principle of Rodev at play here, what changes once he's crowned. So generally, the approach is to say something like, he's, uh, he's a sort of Rodev, and uh, so he's like a halfway Rodev somehow, so before he crowns, he's also only a halfway person, so a halfway Rodev gives us grounds to kill a halfway person, after he crowns, he's a full person and only half a rodif. That's not a very lumdish, very satisfying way of expressing it, but the Akronim play around. Rav Chaim Brisker, Lachiezer, many Akronim have, have different approaches to try to explain what exactly the Rambam means. But yes, the, the bottom line is, the Gemara seems to eliminate the concept of rodif and make it just sound like it's all a question of whether he's considered a person or not. The Rambam reintroduces the concept of rodif. But yes, the, the bottom line is, Lahalacha, we distinguish between the, before the baby has crowned and afterward, Whatever the, the Hezbar is, whatever the Lumdus is, before the, our whole discussion tonight has been the idea of killing the baby before he's crowned. After he's crowned, it is much more serious. There are also other distinctions about how far advanced in the how far advanced the pregnancy is. Even some who are relatively strict about about aborting are more lenient in the first forty days, and there are there are there are various distinctions in how far along the pregnancy is. We're not going to get into that tonight, but the. The basic point is that we have this marit, that on the one hand, going back to the marit, on the one hand he said that, the, that in the first tshuva he says it's, he's not really a person, and therefore you, and therefore you can terminate Lutzar Chaim, at least a Jew can. In the second tshuva, though, he seems to lean toward the view that he is a person, that it's an Isra Gomer in killing him because he's a person, and according to that it might follow that there is much less grounds for aborting simply for the need of the mother, short of an actual threat to her life, because of Rodef, as Jason was saying, or for other reasons, as we've been saying. Again, uh, abortion... Yes? Sorry. Sure. I just have a question. Um, that's related to what you were saying we're not getting into about what part of the pregnancy, but when you were talking about the mother who died, and that then we could... Um, then 
maybe uh, is in a situation where his life is in danger because she's not. You were talking about viability, right? Um, so I'm wondering if if Bismarck has that, where viability is actually much earlier than it would have been in Talmudic times. If the, if anybody deals with that question of of a change of status when a baby could be born alive versus not. Right, so that's an interesting question. The, the, the question is, due to incubators, other technologies that we have today, that the, our notion of viability is very different from the Talmudic one. So the, the, the Talmud talks about a ben ches, a baby born in the eighth month who can't live, a baby born in the seventh month who could live. The whole idea that, that viability can actually uh, decrease as time goes on is, uh, is contrary to uh, what we know of... Uh, what we know of uh, of, uh, of uh, embryonic development and the, the whole eight month thing that m- many of the many of the statements Chazal made don't seem to apply today either because of incubators or for other reasons other things have changed and in certain areas halacha definitely does halacha definitely does change based on modern notions of viability the, the Gemara says you can't be Michal Shabbos to save the life of a baby who was born in the eighth month because he's he's not viable and of course, we, we don't do that today. We, we, an eighth-month baby certainly is viable today, and we certainly are Machal Shabbos to save his life. So the halachas certainly do change in this area based on notions of viability. I, I do want to clarify, though, what, what I mentioned before was a little different from the modern notion of viability. When I was discussing the woman who died in pregnancy, I, I, I wasn't really getting into a question of whether, of whether the baby... When we say viability, we mean, in the context of abortion, for example, in the modern discussion, we typically mean... If the baby were taken out of the womb right now, could he survive uh, in a hospital or, or otherwise or not? The discussion I was making was more a legalistic one, that the very same baby, the same baby, eight months in, nine months in, whatever it is, while the mother's alive, he may be very viable, but the, the, the way the halakha is looking at it is, while the mother's alive, we don't treat him as a human being because we view, we view him as being secondary to her. Even if he's theoretically viable, as long as the mother is still alive, we, we view him as being not his independent person, he's just an appendage of hers. Once the mother's dead, she's out of the picture, and the same baby, the, the same nine-month, eight-month, whatever he is, the exact same baby who was just as viable as, as he was before, all of a sudden is treated as a human being because the mother has been out of the The mother is now removed from the equation. That, 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 that's more of a halachic, legalistic distinction than, a, than one that's, that, sheer, that simply depends on viability. In, in general, the, the, the halachic discussion of abortion doesn't really involve, doesn't really invoke the, the modern notion of viability. We, we don't really distinguish between abortion being mutter or usher, depending on how far along the pregnancy is and whether, whether the baby would be viable out of the womb or not. But uh, as I said, there are certain differences between how far along it is, whether it's 40 days or three months or certain other distinctions. But, but, but the modern notion of viability as in, could this baby live if uh, removed from, from the womb, doesn't usually, my, my understanding is, isn't usually the consideration in, uh, in, 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 in determining whether abortion is mutter or not. Although, I, although I, as you said correctly, there certainly are, are areas of halacha in which we recognize that viability is different, is typically better today than it was then, and the halacha does change in certain, in certain, cases, in certain cases based on that.